That's it's the Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How you doing tonight? Good, 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 Bruce. I was just I had a Christmas party tonight, so I missed most of the game, but I've I've uh, been through all the grade A shots, all the highlights of the game, and uh, I'll uh, that'll be the extent of my input on the on the match tonight. How are you doing? All right, <clears throat> all right. It was a wasn't exactly a never in doubt kind of game. It kind of got away on them for a while, but uh, uh, as um, tracking the scoring chances throughout the game, it seemed to me that Edmonton was the better team for most of it. Uh, certainly, when it came to generating uh, uh, when it came to generating the most dangerous shots. Yeah, it was twelve to seven on grade A shots, and the orders. It strikes me, Bruce, they match up well against this team. Mm-hmm. Teams like this, like mm-hmm. against tougher, grittier defensive teams, disciplined, highly disciplined teams, um, the Oilers can struggle. But against more of a finesse, loosey-goosey team, the Oilers, I, you know, they match up pretty well, I think, and they they did, it certainly did tonight. Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers. And because it's like the end of a three-game losing streak, we'll go with two good things each. What is your good thing, your first one? What is my good thing? Uh, well, I'm going to take uh, uh, Matthias Ekholm yeah. as one of my good things. I thought he had a really strong game tonight. And he uh, um, he was pushing the puck in the right direction, and he was stopping the puck from going in the wrong direction. And uh, both those things... Uh, uh, were very helpful. He wound up with two assists in this game and plus two. And very nice line of numbers. Eight shot attempts, four on goal, a hit, two takeaways, one block shot, and absolutely nothing negative anywhere on, on his sheet. Uh, but I liked his his determination in puck battles. And there was... By my count, three times in the third period alone where New Jersey came busting up through the neutral zone with the puck, they took it over to their right-wing boards, Edmonton's left-wing boards, and there they ran into a second wall named uh, Ekholm, who just sort of took the puck off of whoever the guy was and immediately started skating with it in the other direction. Three times he just flat-out stole the puck in... uh, just along the wall in the neutral zone. Just they never even let him get a sniff of the blue line. And I just uh, I thought he was uh, he played a resolute game tonight. The uh, the bearded Viking and uh, he took some leadership. I thought in that game where they uh, they they uh, they fired and fell back a little bit and then they came on gangbusters in the uh, uh, in the final frame. And he was uh, he was one of the big drivers of that. Yeah, the first ten games this year, Bruce, um, he really wasn't himself, and he really struggled. Um, and the Oilers really missed him, missed what he brought. Since then, the last twenty games, he's been outstanding, uh, playing like he did at such a high level at the end of last season, and he is a vital player for the Oilers. They actually have kind of a big three now with Bouchard, him, and uh, and Nurse. And when Bouchard and Eckholm are on the ice, the passing is exceptional. The attacking that you get 
when those two players are on the ice is out of this world good. They're they're both both excellent stretch passers. Ekholm is as well. This is the thing I didn't expect from him. Mm-hmm. It's just what a great passer oh. of the puck he is. One, and one I hadn't on... noticed that so much in, in Nashville, but I'm sure noticing it now. One I meant to mention was the slap pass that he sent across to uh, to Bouchard, where he, he had the puck and he was winding up, and and Bouchard cut into the slot, and uh, Ekholm just sort of cut off his his wind up and just slapped it over to Bouch, and he put it on his backhand and rang one off the crossbar. But the setup there was sublime. Like the lane opened up for him, and he saw it, and he took it right away with a hard pass, but right on the stick. And, you know, some nice vision there and some nice sort of creative offensive play from uh, from the big guy. So uh, I think we saw big chunks of his 200-foot game tonight, and which is considerable. If Bouchard was to ever get injured and you needed someone on the power play, he's the guy I would put out there before mm-hmm. Nurse. I just think he's that much better uh, of a passer. And, um, yeah, he really got it done. Bruce, my um, my good thing will be, well, listen, they 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 get a they get a two-goal lead and then they give up the next three goals, right? This is just so Oilers. This is like... Oilers, 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 Oilers. Why are you doing this to us? And um, so the, the turning points of the year are Ekholm getting healthy and McDavid getting healthy. And McDavid is, he's a one-man uh, um, slump buster. And he gets the big goal uh, off a outside shot, actually. It's a very nice rush up the ice. Bouchard hits, makes a very fine breakout pass to McDavid, who breaks in. I think it gets to, or it's either to McDavid or Nuge. Anyway, it goes. To, Nuge gets it, takes it deep. Um, or uh, I'm getting this wrong a little bit. I think it's because Nuge makes the back pass to Ekholm at least. Maybe it's Hyman who takes it in anyway. Nuge makes a, a nice pass back to uh, Ekholm. Ekholm puts it on the net. The rebound goes to McDavid. And this is where Connor McDavid does his work. He just holds it's, – it's like 80% of the NHL players just slam it on net immediately. He holds it, holds it, holds it, holds it, holds it, and scores. And this is followed up um, a few seconds later with Dreisaitl. Puck comes to him on a turnover in the offensive end. And what an amazing backhand shot right off the post. So it's um, just when they needed two goals, their two superstars came through with absolutely brilliant scoring plays, high skill plays, the kind of, you know, earn your big contract plays. They did it on the, in those moments. And they need, you know, if they can get both of them rolling somehow um, and scoring regularly, this is going to, everything will fall into place for the Oilers. Along with a little bit Yeah, well, that came turned quickly when the big guys got involved in the score sheet. Went from 3-2 Jersey to 4-3 Edmonton in uh, um, 42 seconds. Uh, and then they got the big goal from Ernie just 27 seconds later out of seemingly nowhere. Uh, that was... Uh, a uh, pretty nice goal in its own right to make it 5-3. And just like that, the game just completely turned around. So. 
I'm just watching that re- that goal again, the McDavid mm-hmm. goal, and and the, so yeah, it's Bouchard who passes it to Nuge and Hopkins. It's center ice, mm-hmm. not to McDavid. That's where I screwed it up. And Nuge takes it in over the line, and puts it over to Hyman, who kind of loses it, and Nuge picks it up again and puts it back to Ekholm on net, and McDavid then with the the great uh, the great finish. Well, Hyman is kind of clearing some of the traffic in front there, eh? He did, as he always does. That, that was a I crucial moment. Like, that could have been called, yeah. you know, and if it was, it's 3-2 jersey still and a power play. And yeah. momentum going the other way, but it, it didn't get called. In fact, Edmonton did not take a single penalty in this game, which is kind of mind-boggling. But, the, you know, they didn't commit many, but if they did, that, that one might have been. And then I looked, Louie mentioned, I looked at the replay, and it wasn't as, like, the, the way the, Two guys went down, looked worse than the actual contact was. Like the guy was already going down, I think, but uh, it could have been called and it wasn't. So we'll uh, we'll uh, at least mention that fact. But uh, Hyman was well, doing he, dirty work in the low slot, like he always seems to be doing, and more often than not, it's uh, 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 he's doing Gord's work in the low slot. I can see why it wasn't called. I just watched the replay, and he, he gets cross-checked in the back, and then he cross-checks someone in the back. He got cross-checked. Yeah, so was... he gets cross-checked in the back first, so he's kind of falling over, and then he takes the opportunity to smash the guy in front of him <laughs> in the back as he's falling. So he, I can see why this isn't called. The ref sees yeah. it, he gets knocked down, and I don't yeah. think that was a penalty. I think that was the correct non-call by the referee, of course, and I think that because McDavid scored a goal, so it's all, it all is logical in that regard. Bruce... What is your second good thing? Yeah, I'm going to go with the uh, play of Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who bounced back from an epically bad game for him in uh, New York on Tuesday. Uh, I was grading that game, and I gave him a two, which is a pretty Ooh. rare grade for the Nuge from any of the three of us. And uh, throughout this game, I was saying to my wife, Nuge didn't like that two he got last game. <laughs> he came out loaded for bear, and he was flying around out there, winning pucks. And, and uh, uh, you know, he cashed a rebound for the uh, uh, for the 2 nothing goal, but, you know, he was involved in the play leading up to it. Uh, he was stealing pucks. He was lifting sticks. He was making passes. He was skating really, really, really well. And the reuni- reunion of that first unit of um, of Nugent Hopkins with McDavid and Hyman, uh, along with mostly Ekholm and Bouchard, and those guys just dominated. I mean, Nugent's on-ice stat line is coursing this game 31-5. to five. Like, 31-5. to five. And they were all like that. Uh and shots on goal, 16-3 for Edmonton. And they actually won the game 2-0. This was a game where the goals actually matched up with the shots and all these other things that we've been all year. Well, they Oilers outshot the other guy 16-3, but they got outscored 1-0. You know, how'd that happen? Well, tonight it didn't happen, at least not for the totality of the game and the third period in particular turned around. But, I mean, they had eight high-danger chances to one. Eight to one, and and they cashed two of those high danger chances into goals, and then I don't know what his count was by our. Uh, it was all pretty much even strength. Four four and none against clean sheet against, and 
they were, you know, all doing their thing. I mean, McDavid was just incredible all over the puck in this game, just stealing pucks, winning board battles, winning puck battles, made an unbelievable play at the blue line, stretch, put his stick, end of his stick in his left hand and reach way out to pull the pass and almost set up a goal on that play where it seemed like the puck was too far away for him to get and he just instantly did the extended stick thing. So they, they all had it going on and as mentioned already, Ekholm and Bush were doing their part as well. So that unit, when they play as a quintet, mighty hard to uh, contain. Yeah, and it's yeah. going to be tempting for the coach to keep that unit together, especially because on the eight-game win streak, that's got to be firmly fixed in yeah. Coach K's mind yeah. that that's the unit that got me my eight-game win streak. I'm going to keep going back to that, which I actually think is really healthy for the Oilers because I don't think McDavid and Dreisaitl should be playing together. I think it's good to break them up. It's just going to be a matter of finding the right line mates for Dreisaitl, which I think will eventually happen. It kind of happened ho- tonight, David. Yeah. So McLeod they, and, this uh, game got better after they took Kane off of Dreisaitl's line, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah, Kane and, is not on his way right now. And, and they moved uh, McLeod up there. He'd been playing, they started the game playing center on the third line. or Well, they start, They actually started the game and they scored a goal. He scored against the Hughes brothers right away. But I'll let you talk about that because I think you got one good thing left. Yeah, McLeod is has been a frustrating player this year. I, I know there's a certain school of hockey analytics that thinks Ryan McLeod is secretly playing really well. Um, that, you know, he's a high value player driving the play and they're out shooting the opposition because he's on the ice. I, I don't see it. If they're out shooting the opposition, it's, he's not driving it because he's not been playing that well. And uh, he's been struggling all year to make an impact on the game in, in any really positive way. You know, I, I, I will say that he's not a terrible defensive player. And for a third-line center, like, he's an okay That's defensive player. That's what you player. want, yeah. You know, so 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 there's that. And um, But on the attack, well, let's suffice it to say he doubled his goal scoring tonight in one game with two goals. So um, good for him. And we're going to – well, and I will now focus on that. You know, the, the first goal was a, a very, very nice play by Matthias Janmark getting in there on the forecheck and causing some havoc t- to turn over the puck to Sam Gagne. Sure-handed Sam, uh, who put it over to McLeod with a beautiful finish from the side of the net. That was a high-skill, high-hustle play by Janmark and then some some fantastic skill at the end by Gagne and uh, Ryan McLeod. The third goal, uh, excuse me, the um, I guess this is the sixth goal of the game, icing on the cake, and they just give the puck away to to uh, Ryan McLeod. But he makes an exceptionally nice play, holding on to the puck. And he's able to do this, hold on to the puck and make a play. And um, he, he kind of went uh, laterally across the front of the net and was able to outweigh everybody and finally put it in the net. It was a sensational goal by Ryan McLeod. He, he patience again, hey? Like, yeah, not quite yeah. McDavid level patience, but pretty good keeping his cool. That's what I've been saying about this guy for a while. He's, he needs to learn that old Glenn Anderson play, holding the puck as he's going across and opening up the you know the net a little bit and then going upstairs with it. And that's exactly what he did on that play. That was a really nice finish. It Very was. encouraging. Yeah. So more of this. Um, yes, please. He. 
if he can if he can chip in 15 to 20 goals a year mm. and he and be and raise his defensive game he's an okay defensive player now um he's got to be bulletproof on defense if he's going to be the third line center on the Edmonton Oilers uh you know they so they they had him up there uh, on a higher line and um maybe 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 that's where they want him I don't know but um like who will they have at center then um Ryan can play center Yanmark can play center um I guess you know Hamblin's been a good fourth line center no complaints but um do you want Ryan as your third line center or Yanmark maybe Yanmark I, I don't know Connor Brown I like can he better play on the wing I think he's good on the boards Yanmark yeah I think Yanmark's a better winger than a center. I don't, they just don't have a third line. So unless they're going to trade for one, um, which is possible, they, they could did trade last for year, another yeah. center. They could trade for another center. And they traded a uh, player, Michael Kesselring, who's currently <sighs> excelling in Phoenix, excelling in Phoenix. Uh, so um, good for Michael Kesselring. But at the time, you know, we accepted, I accepted that trade, I should say, because the Oilers are trying to win a Stanley Cup and Bukestad looks like they're going to help them win it. But uh, you, when you make that kind of trade, and if the Oilers do it again this year, if they give up a prospect to get another third-line center, which they might well do, um, it can hurt later on. Because Kesselring, he's a big, mobile guy uh, who can move the puck. And, um, you know, I can't recall why they called up De- DeHarnay and not him. Maybe DeHarnay was ahead of him. I think DeHarnay was ahead of him in the AHL. But um, I don't they know wanted, who I'd rather have They wanted have a defensive guy and a penalty killer because they, yeah. they had Barry and Bouchard both. Yeah. And the only defensive D-man they had on the right side was CeCe. And they wanted to to bring – and, and uh, Vinny's definitely a better defensive defenseman than Kesselring to my experience. Yeah, probably, yeah. But in the long run, who's going to be the better player? That's the end. That we'll find out. Yeah. All right. Uh, Bruce, what is your bad thing? Yeah, uh, a little bit. Uh, more on Fogel's puck handling and just decision making with the puck. Uh, and one play was on the uh, uh, on the first Jersey goal where both Kane and Rysettle, this was the sort of first edition of the second line tonight, we're both like banging the end boards and the puck cycled around to, um, to Fogel at the bottom of the left circle, almost by the boards. And he fires like a prayer pass or shot towards the net when both of his other four, I mean, he's up pretty deep as it is. And both of his forwards are trapped and that pass he fires over somewhere towards the front of the net gets picked off and it goes the other way. And it's like a wide open three on two because none of them is in position then to cover it. And then, of course, New Jersey does go down and uh, eventually put the puck in the net. A uh, really nice shot. Uh, but the three, in fact, it was a three on two meant that, a you know, a good shooting position was going to be given up. And uh, uh, so that was one example. And then the third period, I thought clearing his own zone, there was one shift in particular where they had trouble getting it out a couple times. And then finally... Uh, the puck comes to Fogel playing right wing, and that's probably not necessarily helping him being a left shot. 
And he's coming out of the zone. You think, oh, finally, we're going to get it to center and get it in, get these guys off the ice. And he tries some kind of cute behind-the-back spin-around pass to McLeod, and it's like five feet behind him. And the next thing you know, they haven't got the puck out, and it's in the zone. And it's just it's a detail, but it's an important detail. Look after the puck. And be aware of where your teammates are that, you know, you're not sort of lobbing it into trouble where there's nobody around to cover it. And, and basically on both of those plays, that sort of happened. And it's uh, He did lots of things right in this game. And I don't want to say Warren Fogle is my bad thing, but Warren Fogle's puck management in this game was a bad thing at times. And so I will single that aspect out. Yeah. Bruce, uh, for my bad thing, I'll go with those two second-period goals. Like, the Oilers really dominated this game. They were a much better team in the end. They, they That paid off, and they won the game. But, man, they, they sure know how to give away a lead. <laughs> and, of course, the, the, the Jersey's second goal early in the second period is the dreaded Californian, an outside shot that goes – right through a kind of a cross screen by CC, you know, um, and finds its way into the net. Um, Dreisaitl might have had a chance to block it. It was a pretty fast developing play, though. But CC either block it or get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And he screened the goalie pretty effectively. I don't think Picard saw Pickard saw that until um, the last second, if he saw it at all. So now it's 2-2. And then... Um, it's just a, a crappy defensive play. It's the most dreaded of all hockeyological phenomenon for the Oilers, the the rush play. And they're rushing up the ice because Ernie has lost a battle at center ice. He later redeems himself with one hell of a mm-hmm. good goal. But he loses the puck at center ice. It's now a, a rush, uh, three-on-two rush-ish, or odd-man-ish rush to the net. And DeHarnay gets turned around and beat on the pass into the slot. Um, and it's 3-2 all of a sudden. In a game, you know, where they're up, they had been up 2-0 in a game, they must win. So that's my bad thing. I think it is a bad thing. The bad thing of the game was that goal. And um, mm-hmm. we just see it, that that rush goal, they've got to figure out a way to shut that down. They're not doing it yet. Ernie was actually in a pretty good position there as the high forward. Yeah. But his problem was that he didn't make a clean play on the puck. Like he yeah. had a chance to cut that play out and he, he fumbled the, the puck. It wasn't that he was in the wrong place. It just, he didn't make the the play when he was there. And you can probably attribute some of that to rust because he hasn't played all month. Yeah. And he didn't take the man. Like he had a yeah. chance. I guess he had yeah, such a good chance. Other play for sure. He had a good chance to, 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 play the puck in that moment. But if he had also just taken the man, knock someone on their butt, then there's no rush either. Right. Right in that moment. Right. He takes care of everything, yeah. but yeah. he did try to play the puck. I think it was actually the right play to play the puck as opposed to take the man because he had a good chance to make a play. And that's fair of you to mention Bruce that he's rusty and it's hard. It's happening fast and um, that's going to yeah. happen, but he game, sure did score a nice goal. That was a heck game, of a shot. Game speed. Uh, game speed doesn't happen in practices and, you know, to just sort of the instant read and react thing, and it didn't click there. But his goal, that was nice. Nice power move, and he tucked it in, pulled it inside and tucked it around uh, uh, the goalie, Vanacek. 
who came in after all of five minutes and 24 seconds to clean up Akira Schmidt's mess. And Vanacek wound up taking the loss in the third period. But uh, uh, Ernie uh, Ernie uh, really deked him nicely on that, on that rush. Sure did. Bruce, um, let's move on to our numbers. What's your number? Yeah, I'm going to go with the number one. And that is by at least my count, and I think you've gone through it all now, the the number of five alarm chances that New Jersey got in this game. And the one was the third goal that you just described, where the pass went through uh, DeHarney right into the low slot, and but he slammed it home. I mean, that's classic grade A territory. And if it's if there's puck movement involved, as there was here, it's five alarm territory. And that was for sure a five-alarm shot. There are other two goals. One came from way outside through that screen, and then the other one was from an angle, but he did make a nice shot on the three-on-two, but he was, you know, sort of top of the circle. He just picked the corner. So it was more a matter of how good the shot was as opposed to how good the opportunity was that the Oilers gave up. And, uh, And he made that shot. But there wasn't, like, Picker didn't have a lot of, like big fires to put out, a few little fires, but nothing where it was sort of chaos around him and he, you know, was him against the world. There was really very little of that. And I thought Edmonton played a pretty <clears throat> pretty decent uh, defensive game uh, and sort of hard two-way play. And somehow they found a way to give up three consecutive goals within that game. But uh, in the end, their their defensive play was a huge contributor to the win this this was probably a game that should have been a little lower scoring than it was because uh, <clears throat> it wasn't that many high you know like we just had uh what did you say scoring chance 12, 12 seven. To 7 like under 20 for the two teams combined we've had a lot of games where one team had 20 and so this was uh, a fairly contained i would call it most probably 45 minutes out of 60 of a strong, very strong road game or home game for that matter, game by the Oilers where they they paid attention to detail and just didn't give up too much free stuff. Indeed. Bruce, my number is, my numbers are 23, 45, and 67. So Connor Brown uh, was in the press box. He's gone 23 games without scoring. And... Um, I was just thinking, we've lived, we've seen this movie before, and Tobias Reader comes to mind, 67 games without a goal. Um, but uh, Tobias Reader is a very different player than Connor Brown. He's a kind of a finesse player, a smaller player. They don't bring the same things to the table. But then another player came to mind, Patrick Russell, 45 games. He was a journeyman. He was a pretty good AHL player. He was a very good AHL player. He was kind of the Vinny DeHarnay like an older player who started to excel at the mm-hmm. AHL level and really did was an outstanding two-way player. But when he got to the NHL, he just didn't have the skill to keep up. And he went 45 games um, without scoring a goal. And when I thought about it, I thought, you know, I, I thought this year, Connor Brown is Patrick Russell. He's bringing exactly the same thing or lack thereof that Patrick Russell brought to the orders, which is decent defensive play. Hustle, can't question the effort, but there's no 
skill. There's no there's no high level skill plays, and that's why Connor Brown, you know, based on his grade A shot totals and his grade A um, assist totals, you'd think he'd have about four goals and four points this year. That's what it, that's what is you know if he had average four puck assists. luck. Yeah, four assists, uh, four goals and four assists, eight points. So he, but he, uh, the skill's not there, that high skill that, that uh, you know, that we just saw from McLeod, that we saw from Dreisaitl and McDavid, but also from McLeod this game. He hasn't had that moment where he's held the puck and made sure that he scored and finished it off. He's come close to scoring because he's around the net, battling hard and banging pucks at the net from in close, but... I can't really remember when he gets robbed too much. And that was the case with Patrick Russell. You just, some guys just aren't that, they, they get good shots in tight, but they're never really that close to scoring. And that's where Brown is right now. So he's got a, he has been obviously a higher skill player, a better player than he's showing now. Yeah, oh, way better. Way better. So, but I can see why he was, I didn't, when he was benched, I mean, I think that made sense. And I don't think he's getting, mm-hmm. after Adam Murney's goal, I don't think he's getting in tomorrow night. So, um, assuming Gagne and Ryan are both able to go because yes. they both got banged up in the third tonight. Could could be there'll be an injury. You know, Brown was doing well on the PK, but in that last game that he um, he was responsible on two PK goals. Um, you know, he he didn't fail to cut it across ice pass, and then he was slow mm-hmm. to cover the slot on another. And um, so I think that's why he got pulled. Because probably because because his PK work was shoddy all of a sudden as well, right. and um, that was his secret sauce until then. yeah. So you better do that right. But if you're actually the main guy on two goals against, which he was, um, then that's not going to work in your favor. But maybe maybe you're right. If there are players injured, um, he'll, he'll get back in. Of course, of course, he'd get back in. He'd be the He's the only guy. Gagne <laughs> left the game with, uh, what, 12 minutes left in the third or something? He got smashed in the face by a teammate's stick and <clears throat> went down the tunnel. And it may well have been that, you know, whether he got stitched up or whatever, who knows, that that maybe there came a point where he was good to go back in, but the game was under control. It was 6-3. to three. Yeah. It might be, you know, one or two shifts left. And 34-year-old guy, you know, we've got another game tomorrow. You know, just take a deep breath and... Get a head start on that post-game beer, you know, and uh, he, uh, anyway, he didn't return. And then Ryan got absolutely crushed on it. What I saw is a pretty cheap hit by uh, Andre Palat with 50 seconds left in the, in the third. And he was down on the ice for a while and he got up and painfully made his way off to the bench. And uh, Jack and Louie were talking about big picture at that point didn't make any notice of it but i sure noticed it and i thought that's a dirty hit i was a little surprised that <clears throat> some oiler didn't sort of go over and make his presence felt to, to be honest but anyway ryan got he takes like one it seems like one heavy hit a game he's and, starting to wear down a bit this year he's yeah. been i think he's playing hurt already yeah and now so, he's getting beat up more like he he could use a break so With a back-to-back, one of those 34-year-old guys could easily sit tomorrow and Brown get back in, you know, is all I'm well, saying. Ryan, he won't be Ryan's getting Brian. seven, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 34-plus, yeah. Anyway, Rob yeah. Brown, uh, uh, he won't be getting that Adam Ernie's spot back tomorrow, though I can tell you that, so. No, yeah. no, he won't, not after that goal, because that was mm-hmm. one more goal then. 
Tanner Brown has all year. All right, Bruce, our conundrum. What is our conundrum? Uh, we talked about why can't the Oilers hold a lead? Yeah. Being a conundrum. Um, so like a million reasons for it, isn't it? It's like all the reasons, all the reasons they mm-hmm. goaltending, brush plays. They just, but they just in turnovers. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's hard to sustain. I mean, tonight they came out the, up to the first TV timeout and maybe even most of the way to the second. They were on a completely different level from New Jersey. They were winning all of the puck battles. They were winning all of the races to the puck. They were, you know, they were making slick plays with the puck. They were, you know, setting up, uh, you know, cycles. And just like they were... Uh, you know, a team on on another level from their opponent. It was two nothing, and it felt like if they keep playing like this, it could easily be four nothing by the end of the first period. And then it just kind of dissipated away from them. And they got, I think, Jersey got nine shots in a row after that. Not none of them particularly dangerous, but the Oilers sort of stopped playing with the initiative, and we're sitting back a bit. And always. Makes you go, well, why don't you just keep doing what you were doing? Oh, it's working well. And, I mean, there is an energy budget, and they, they certainly dug into it a lot in the early going. I mean, it was a high-energy first few minutes, and they, they just blitzed them, and it worked in the, to the tune of 2 nothing. But then the other shoe came down, and then the other shoe came down a second time, and again a third time. And this time you're going, you know, what's going on here but We've seen this movie more than once this year, and this is this is a rare time where they turned it back around and came out on top. Too many times we've seen blown blown leads or even multiple blown leads turn into full blown regulation losses. So tonight, at least, they were able to uh, uh, <clears throat> to get it back in the third, but they sure let it get away from them in the sort of late in the first and. Uh, that's those couple of breakdowns, I guess, in the second. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the energy, like it is, there's another team out there, right? And if they've been ha- having it handed to them, they're going to crank it up. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have a say, like they're going to push back. And mm-hmm. Yoder's forte is pushing, not being pushed because they're not a great defensive team. You know, they were starting to become a really good defensive team in their eight game winning streak. They were they were consistently yeah. limiting the other team to fewer than ten grade A shots a game, which is really good. They're starting to get that down. To, to win, to make the playoffs, they're going to have to be a good defensive team. To win the Stanley Cup, they're going to have to be a great defensive team. Yeah. This team isn't strong enough on the attack that they can win the Stanley Cup without being a great defensive team. So they might as well get in the habit of it now. And it was really encouraging during that winning streak because that you could see it's starting to happen starting to come around and um maybe we'll see it now bruce maybe this is a maybe they'll go on another spell here they can play strong defensive hockey if they put their minds to it um we've seen it before we saw it tonight so they just have to do it consistently and i think that's the solution of the conundrum just just become this this disciplined veteran defensive hockey team that when when it needs to shut it down, it does so. And there's all kinds of NHL teams like that. Builders just need to be one of them. 
And um, they've shown signs in the past they can do so, but they need to do it consistently. All right. Tomorrow conundrum night. Conundrum resolved. Conundrum resolved. They just need to play better. They need to play better. That's <laughs> it. That's always the solution, isn't it? <laughs> and sometimes they need a save. Yeah. They Sometimes they need a save. Uh-huh. Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. Back at her tomorrow. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>